Good morning, everyone. Man, that was good. Thank you, guys. Gals, thank you for that incredible worship. I don't know how you guys don't get more rowdy in all that. It, I mean, it really is, you're allowed to get a little rowdy in here. So I, I almost, especially during that first song, I almost, almost came up on stage because I wanted to dance and I wanted to get other people to dance. So say, these are all the people that are thankful that I didn't do that. That's, I get it. I get it. Because you... Because you probably saw me dance on last Sunday, and it wasn't pretty, was it? No, but we had Bees Furry Fest last Sunday, and it was a rockin' success, absolutely amazing. We had bunches of people, great vendors out there. Had uh, Remember we were talking about that we were doing church in a different way? I had so many God conversations with strangers that were just absolutely phenomenal. And so I, I wanna thank everybody. I wanna thank Shana and all of her team that put that together. It was a win and we will definitely do it again. Uh, don't forget our small groups that are in the back. Take a look at them, sign up for them. They're how we grow here at Crosstown. There is no preacher good enough. I don't care if you're listening to Elevation Online or Jesus Culture Online or Andy Stanley Online or you don't even know who those people are or even Jordan Peterson Online. I don't care who you're listening to online. There's something about when we are in relationship with one another that causes a dynamic change in our souls. The other guys, well, I can touch your head just a little bit maybe on a Sunday morning, but it goes down to the soul when we do relationships with one another. And so in two weeks on Father's Day, I'll be starting a new series called Living the Do. Yeah, uh, we came up with this whole logo by ourselves. No, we were not influenced by any outside source. We are not having to pay royalties or anything, copyrights. So I just want to let you know, boy, they should make a soda that, that looks like that, huh? <laughs> but we're going to be talking about living to do. And I'll tell you why this series came about. My wife is responsible for it because she heard me speak about this fault line thing. She said, you know, Paul, you always dog yourself out in front of all these people about how rotten a husband you are and how rotten an individual you are and how you struggle with this and that. She goes, you haven't, I don't remember you ever yelling at me when we were married or when we were still married, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, she goes, I don't remember you, but you make it like you're like this chauvinist pig that just kind of like belts out screaming. I'm like, yeah, but sometimes I'm not kind. She goes, I don't remember in the last 10 years you being unkind to me. And I'm like, okay. She goes, really, you need to, you always build me up to be amazing, but you always tear yourself down in public. So starting now, my vision statement is to tear down Susan and build up Paul. All right. You're going down, lady. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But, um, and, and what it made me think was that I don't really declare to you all the good things that happened to me. I tell you about how I am like the rest of you and like I, I struggle with this or that or I have pain or deal with depression or deal with these other things. But I don't tell you about the wins because I always thought that was boastful. And I also thought it was like, I don't want to leave anybody behind. But what I'm finding out is there are people like, like I need to know that I can win. You know, I'm not just looking for somebody that, that feels like I do and has back pain like I do or struggles with this like I do. I need to know if somebody's winning with all this. And so um, we're going to be talking about the blessings of God. We're going to be talking about living in the do, that you can genuinely experience the blessings of God that flow from him. 
uh, in your life. And we just want to talk about how do we get there because we all want a little bit of that do, don't we? I mean, we all want to live with that place of knowing the blessings of God, even in the midst of a difficult world. So we'll be starting that on Father's Day. So we just hope that you'll be there for that. But today we're kind of closing up our series on fault lines, though, though I may not be speaking about it, I know some of you are living through it and that you're in that place and you may be in that place for a while where you're dealing with conflict. And we learned that conflict and estrangement in relationships is in our nature, that whenever we try to get along with another human being, especially marry somebody, and then try to execute a 35 to 40 year marriage with them, that we know that we're gonna have conflict, there's going to be difficult, uh, there's going to be hardships in it. So one of the big takeaways for me is I look back at the series because I generally write series not because I, I, I think Johnny needs to hear this or Billy needs to hear this or Susan needs to hear this. I write, I'm inspired by what God is challenging me about. And I assume that since I am the lead teaching pastor that that's how it, it works, is that God wants to teach me something, I, I need to learn something, and then we learn it all together. So when I have takeaways from a series, you're like, well, you wrote it. I mean, how would you have a takeaway? It's like, because no, I wrote, I, I through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the inspiration of God's word, was directed to learn. That's why this little thing on my arm, and you'll see it all over our church, is I'm a learner, lover, leader. I mean, it's, I, it's not like these are progressions, it's, I'm always a learner. I'm always trying to be a better lover and always trying to be a better leader. It's not like, well, I learned, then I became a lover, then I become a leader, and I don't have to learn anymore. But so I learned from this series. And one of the big takeaways for me was that you have to change your personal landscape. You really do. You have to be one that creates space around you in your personality, in, in your approachability, that you've you got to be somebody that somebody wants to hang around with. Um, you've got to show yourself friendly to have friends, the proverb says. And that if we want to bring about reconciliation, we've got to make it so that our soil of our landscape is worth coming back to, that a son or a daughter or a co-worker would want to step back onto the ground of who we are and have relationship with us. So, we, so instead of going and trying to get them to change their lives, we've got to begin to look around and see, well, what's my landscape look like? Is it safe? Is it a good place to be? That's why Jesus said, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven and it will be given to you. I mean, Jesus isn't doing away with ethics, but what he's doing is talking about that if we have condemnation as the basis of our ground in relationships, then our relationships will never get better. If God does not and somehow move first towards us, we never move towards God. We never approach heaven. We'll never get there. God has to create new ground for us to step on. That's why Jesus comes. Jesus is the ground of approachability of God. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you were raised Catholic, and I was raised Catholic um, a bunch of times in my life, and so if you ever learned anything about Catholic, and it's cool, it's cool to be Catholic if you want to be Catholic. It, it, it's it's kind of like Christianity with speed bumps. It's like a little bit more difficult. You can't go as fast. You got to slow down, go over the speed bump. You got to do this rule thing. But that's cool. I, I, it's still still the same Jesus. But one of the things I learned was that God didn't like me, that God was just angry at me and Jesus was this poor schmuck who just got thrown in the way to take the bullet from me. 
And that there was no idea that there was really this ground of grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, wow, that sounds made up, doesn't it? You know, it's in like four of the epistles of the Apostle Paul. It's that God's created a new ground. And he wants us to create that new ground so that, so that the conflicts that we have, can, the people can come back to us. So um, we need to get rid of the rage. We got to get rid of the uh, unresolved anger. We got to get rid of the jealousy, the unforgiveness. All this before we even say boo to anybody. We have to get rid of the intolerance. We've got to get rid of the self-centeredness because otherwise it will just litter our landscape. And, and who wants to come back to that? Who wants to go back to their dad's house if dad's house isn't, if, if it isn't safe? Who wants to get back into a relationship with their spouse if their, their spouse is still toxic? We also learned that one of the toughest parts in relationship conflict is the process of living in stasis. That time when the relationship is, has had its conflict and people have gone in their own direction and nobody's talking to each other and, and we really don't know what to do. We're living in that moment of shock or grief. It's a time when things stop moving. It's when battle lines have been drawn, when communication is stopped, uh, when separation stops. Um, it's a time when there, there is like this new normal where you're now in conflict with this person. And that's a hard place to be where there's that guy at work or that gal at work or there's somebody in your family or a cousin or a nephew or something where now it's, we're in conflict with, these, with this individual. And it's that time where mm, it's really difficult. We've, we've experienced this kind of difficult time even in the United States. We're, deal, we're dealing with it in America in the issue of race and with the issue of, of gender and, and the, how we deal with each other. We're, we, we can have differences of opinion and difference of principles, but we don't have to create a landscape that's hostile. You know, so, so instead of trying to fix all the other people in the world, God's like, no, 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 here's what I want you to do. I want you to work on your landscape. And create, a, if you want to change the stereotypes uh, about, and God told me, if you want to change the stereotypes of, of white 62-year-old men, uh, I don't need you to go out on the side of a street corner and yell it or burn the, that street corner down. Just change your own approachability. Just, just do life, be incarnate like Christ was. Make the ground of, of, of approachability safe. And so um, as long as we have this other stuff in us, we're just not going to see people approaching us. We learned that some things can be done while we're in the middle of this conflict. Here's some things that we can work on. We can reduce the circumference of the conflict. We talked about you don't have to tell everybody. You don't have to share everything. When somebody comes up to you and says, well, how's your son doing? Oh, he's still gay. It's like, oh, really? You're going to lead with that. Or, uh, well, you know, she just had her third child by her fourth boyfriend. It's like, why do I need to know that? Why is that your story? Why, why, is, why, is that, why are you putting that out there? But for a lot of us, we need to shrink the circumference of the conflict. Not everybody needs to know about it. It doesn't need to be shed, uh, uh, shared with everyone. Most people are not going to pray for you. So it can, in church, most people, I will tell you, I've been around church people for about 30-something years now, and I, I can tell you, they're well-meaning. They, they hear your story, and they're like, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I've said it a gazillion times and totally forgot about you when I walked away. So I, I mean, because you don't want me taking out my iPhone and making notes, do you? 
I mean, so I, I will walk away and I'll forget. So there's some things that we can, sh- we can shrink the circumference of the conflict. We can cultivate the ability to live at peace within the conflict. Uh, everything doesn't have to be about the conflict. You don't have to lock down or walk around with a mask because you're having a conflict with another person in your family. You don't have to fix it now. The Apostle Paul said, do not be anxious for anything. And some of us get anxious about trying to fix the conflict. It's like, no, peace, it's okay. Humans have conflict, it's part of, it's part of how we do life. Then we talked about stepping back from tit for tat. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, the etymology of the phrase tit for tat was deeply explored. Um, and so if you've ever wondered where it came from, just go online and I explain it totally for you and I'm still getting funny looks from people. Um, but the whole idea that Jesus was communicating to us is uh, start doing good intentionally in the midst of hostility. Stop exchanging insult for insult. Stop fighting over incidentals and pray for them. And what do you pray for somebody that you're in conflict with? You pray for God's best for their life. Not, if you're praying a prayer, God, help my husband see how stupid he is. I mean, it's like, I can speak for most guys. We know exactly where we are on the stupid meter, okay? We, we, we understand what we don't get about ourselves. And we also understand what we don't get about our spouses. But what we do need is a spouse that's praying God's best for our lives. What every conflict here needs before any words are fired, any salvos, any swords are drawn, needs to, we need to spend more time praying for the conflict and the individual in that conflict. So today we're gonna to close out with a couple of insights that have, that have come to us from the way that God loves us in the midst of our conflict with him. And I think through Jesus, God gives us three things. He gives us a better story, a better script, and a better ending. When you look at how God deals with humanity and he does with conflict, I think he gives us these three things. I'm really into drama, I'm really into movies, I'm really into story and narrative, and I, and I love this. Because God really wants us to have a better story, a better script, and a better ending to our conflicts. We're settling for really bad endings. I mean, don't you, don't you hate it when in the ending of a movie just doesn't go the way that it's supposed to go? They kill somebody that you really didn't know who was going to die? I, I remember when somebody let out that the last Avengers movie came out and somebody, some preacher someplace had saw the movie and he accidentally let everybody know that Iron Man died at the end of the movie. And, and everybody was like just blown away. And if you're blown away by that right now, you need to, to get Amazon Prime or something in your life or Disney Plus if you didn't know the answer to that. But don't we hate it when, when there's an ending that that we don't like. We wanted, it to, wanted them to ride off together. Well, I have to be honest, we're gonna learn about it from God. That God does not like the endings that most of us are settling for. He wants us to have a better story. I think too many of us are married to the narrative of the conflict events. You know, maybe a lot of us aren't, aren't really highly educated in, in things of archeology span or uh, we're not all lawyers or we're not all historians or statisticians. But isn't it interesting that I don't care what your education background is, that when it comes to a conflict, we all become lawyers. We all become archaeologists. We dig through the dirt to find what was wrong about that person. 
We're really good about finding dirt on another individual in the middle of the conflict. We're statisticians. Some of us can't even get our taxes done on time. You know, and, but when it comes to keeping track of the wrongs that were done to us by an individual, some of us have got this incredible ledger. You know, I, I have to use my, my son-in-law Brian as an example. Brian is, is like me, he's very much like me in the fact that his temperament does not lean towards high levels of organization. Okay, that's, we're, we're kind of like, we, we're passionate, we're in the moment, we, we have zeal, we go, we run. I mean, we're, we're like first responders in our temperament. And so um, I, I, he started working on his Mustang, and as you know, he's got probably the fastest Mustang in Charleston, and he's, he's got like some stage four turbo system on there now, put a new engine in there. And, and, but he had to lift the old engine out. And when he took the old engine out, I noticed he had this incredible ledger that had every wire and its, desert, its point of origin and, its, and, and, and where it was supposed to go to. He had it all written out in this incredible, looked like a spreadsheet. I mean, Excel could not have produced this. I mean, it was just amazing, everything. And he had tags on every little wire, every little screw. This came out of this manifold. This came from this. And, and I was blown away. It was like, wait a minute. I thought you weren't organized. You know, I thought you really didn't, you know. But here's the thing. We can be very organized about things that we're passionate about. And some of us are way too passionate about our conflicts that we are keeping a ledger of right and wrong in detail. So, so for some of us, we need a, a new story. We need to um, realize that we have freeze-packed some of the things that have happened to us, some of the words that were said to us. We, we sucked all the air out of it, we freeze-packed it like a, like a pack of peas, and we put it in the freezer, and we're gonna leave it there, and because, but we know you said that to me, and until that gets dealt with, I'm never gonna have a relationship with you. So some of us get married to the relationship, uh, committed to the conflict narrative more than we're committed to the relational narrative. That's the crazy thing about it. We're more committed to the conflict narrative than we are committed to the relational narrative. And I think that's what our society is doing. Okay, we're, we're building a new society off of a conflict narrative. But rather, we're supposed to be committed to the relationship narrative. Listen to how God does this. Listen to this example of a better story. I think it's, he's so smart. Listen to God's narrative about the sins of the world. Romans 5.8 says this. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I know, it's like, okay, I've heard that before. Um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's it. Okay, now... See, I'm amazed about how short that is. Um, the historical descriptions of the sins of humanity in nine words or less, okay? Nine words or less, and it includes a solution to the conflict. See, that's what conflict narratives should look like. We keep it short, but we also, when we're, when we're putting together the narrative of the conflict, a solution be, should be built into the narrative. If your narrative about your conflict has no hope built into the narrative, then you probably don't have uh, a better story. So God, I mean, so I looked at it, and I'm like, what, what about uh, while we were yet sinners? What, what about Caligula? Uh, what about Nero? Uh, what about Hitler? 
What, what, about, um, what about the details that would tell us more about failed politicians or, or movie stars? Or why, why not something in there about all the preachers that have failed and fallen from grace? What about the line-by-line -line description of my drug and fornication past? That's not in there. <laughs> That's interesting. What about all the lying gossip and juicy stories that God could tell about you and me? You know, I mean, he has the right to. He could, he could, he could just say anything about you and I. And he could allow the burden of all that we've done wrong, the story about you and me to be so large and so burdensome on top of us. But he says, no, while you were yet sinners, my son died for you. Really, that's all you're gonna share about the story? I want something juicy. I want, but here's the thing, is that some of us have narratives that are too big about the conflict. And the narrative doesn't have anything in it about how it's going to be resolved. And if that's the case, then you, then you don't have a God narrative for your conflict. If you're just freeze-packing right, rights and wrongs, if you're just tallying up and keeping track of the things that have been done wrong to you, you, you need a better story. Because that's not the story that God is dealing with you with. Mistakes were made in the relationship and we don't have to over-marry ourselves to the details. We should be linking the solution to the story in the description of the story. Christ died for us. That's a better story, isn't it? Well, and, and that's what I try to do when people ask me about my back. It's like, how's your back feel today? Now, there's a, one part of the story is, well, it sucks and it hurts and I'm waiting to get an injection, but my insurance declined it, so I gotta wait another month. And that's, but you know what? Inside of me, I kind of feel wrong telling you that because that's not the whole story. The whole story is it doesn't hurt as bad as it did two years ago. I'm now to live my life. I've, I've been mountain biking. I did some raking in the backyard and we did a lot of other things, stuff going on. So, so, but for a lot of times, I would just tell the story, well, you know, I gotta be honest with you, it just hurts, it sucks, man. I just, I've been thinking about killing myself. I just think life is over. I'm 62 years old and, you know, I'm overweight and I'm all, it's like blah, blah, blah. It's like, really, Paul, is that your story? See, this is why we're gonna do the series on living in the do, is because I wasn't telling you the whole story. There's this other parts, but yeah, yeah I, I go out for walks and enjoy that and I rake too much in the backyard, dig the hole the other day. You know, some of you don't think that's a big deal, but for my injury, it's a really big deal. I uh, floated in my pool and drank something that I'm not gonna tell you what I was drinking, and I uh, just had a great time living life, living it real. So, but we need to do that with our conflicts. Well, you know, my son, he's, he's an idiot like his father. You know, he's blah, 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 blah. So really, what, is that the narrative that God, that God gave us? Then we need, a, um, we need a better, with a better story, we need a better script. And I tell you, this is really important because do you guys remember when, the, when Star Wars movie number four came out and we were introduced to Jaw Jaw Binks? Okay, do you remember how that, uh, is that one? Two? No, that was, that was number one, I guess, technically. So they even screwed that up. I mean, it's like, I think that's, it's number one. We, we met Jaw Jaw Binks. Somebody needed to take script writing away from George Lucas because he was ruining Star Wars. 
I mean, it was just like, this is terrible dialogue. Anakin Skywalker dialogue was ridiculous. An hour-long pod race. Am I, am I the only one here that has this, this, this problem with it? No, I'm not. Okay, good, good. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Just, uh, yeah, pod racing. Yeah, boy. See, we need a better script. Um, how we speak in a conflict is paramount. Listen to what Paul says about the script of our conflicts. Colossians 3.8. But now you must, must, the word must is in there. You must put away all, put, uh, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. It's like, well, yeah, but you didn't know what, you, what they did to me or what they said about me. No, you must put these away. See, this is, these are the scripts of conflict, anger, slander, malice, obscene talk. Paul's like, you gotta, if you want any relationship to get, get better, you got to put this stuff away. And, and, and I love it. This is kind of like a command. He's like, dude, you got to stop talking like that. It's not going to get better. Wives, I don't care I mean, other than physical abuse or some sort of sexual abuse or whatever, it's like you do not need to spend an hour on the phone telling your sister how rotten your husband is, okay? That's, that's, just, that's just malice, okay? Dogging out your boss because you don't like what he's doing, that's, that's, just, that's just wrong. You know, I, I won't even... I won't even talk about the president, whether I have voted for him or not. That doesn't matter. It doesn't say, oh, well, if you didn't vote for him, you can talk about him with anger, malice, and obscene talk. If he's a Republican, you can talk about him. If he's a Democrat, no, 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 no. He's like, no, you're not going to fix nothing with that attitude. I need you just to put it all away. It's like, yeah, but everybody needs to know that I don't agree on the transgender issue. It's like, really? No, most of us don't need to know what you think about most issues. I hate to say it, most people don't really care what I think about most issues. We need to change the way that we talk. We still have ethics, we're still right and wrong, but the script needs to be more of what God calls us to. I love this powerful script that comes to us from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 11, I, this is my like manifesto uh, verse on interaction with people. I mean, and as I'm trying to improve my landscape. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken. I mean, there are words that we can have that can be, that can tear down, that can be destructive, but then we're told that there's a way that our words can be fitly spoken. I like the word fitly. I used to be someone, so I'm not boasting because this is not me now. I used to be someone who spent years in the gym. I would have been classified as a gym rat. And I was in pursuit of the fitly body. Uh, um, and so I know a lot of different exercises to do in the gym. And, and that was my thing is that, you know, I just wanted there to be a gasp when my shirt came off. Okay. I can tell you this, in all God's honest truth, if I took my shirt off today, there would be a shriek. 
okay? There would be no gasping whatsoever. But I love the word fitly because fitly is intentional. You don't just come up with arms. I saw a picture of, I should have put it up there, but it would have caused way too many ladies and maybe men to stumble if um, I showed what uh, Chris Helmsworth's arms look like as he's getting ready for Thor 4. I mean, it was incredible. He's got that long Fabio hair and he's got this giant arm. But you know, that stuff, that's intentionality. He didn't just have good genes. He intentionally focused on certain parts of his body, focused on your abs, your lats, your quads, all these different body parts have an exercise associated with them and that you choose to say, I want to be fitly, um, you know, exercised in that area. We need to increase the fitness of our words. We need to pull words back when we say them. I'm actually writing a document right now and I've written a document on how Christians should respond when transgenders want you to use their pronoun. And I'm working on this document and uh, it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, and trying to create a better landscape to have dialogue with people. And so what I did was I sent it out to a couple baby boomers, a couple Gen Xers, and I sent it out to uh, a couple Gen Zers. And, uh, and millennials. Why? Because I wanted to make sure that the words that were in there were fit. That as a baby boomer, I may use a word that um, is not rightly fit for our culture today. And so it was great. I got all this great feedback from people and, and it's kind of like, uh, no, this word, it really make, puts me on the defensive if you use that word. Or, and so, we need to get good at, is this the right word? Is this the right thing to say? Well, I just speak your mind. Will you find me someplace in the Bible where it says, God has called you to speak your mind, oh man of God? You know? No. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Look not on your own interests, but on the interests of others. See, that's a fitting word. That's, a, that's something. So, so one of the things we need to do is to make sure that our script is from God. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul said, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, there is no answer we can give, even if we disagree with the other person, that cannot be presented with graciousness. We are called to be gracious at all times. Well, I just say what's on my mind. It's like, no, that's not it for the Christian. Our landscape is different. Jesus didn't come on planet earth and then point out, hey, you want me to tell you what Paul Rienzo was doing back in 1980? Yeah. Let me tell you what that guy was doing. And then lays out all the decadent things that I was doing in the late 70s and the early 80s and the things that I've struggled with through the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s and 2020s. And it's like, no, no, no. Everything Jesus will ever tell you about me will be gracious. It will be gracious. So if you're in conflict with somebody and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how's your, how's your son doing? Be gracious. Do they really need to know all the details? Let your speech be seasoned with salt. If somebody that you're in the conflict with, don't talk unless you have something that is rightly fitted to be spoken in a gracious kind of way. Paul said, this is our new manuscript. 
All this is from God who, gave, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the script, the story, the new ending. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, not illuminating, not declaring to everybody that didn't know, counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, we have a new script, and we're supposed to be using this new script. And I cannot tell you, this script is greater than your gender. Well, I'm a woman, I should be able to speak this way. Mm-mm, mm. Okay, well, I'm a man, I should be able to speak this way. Mm-mm. Well, I'm black, I should be able to. Well, I'm white, Mm-mm. well, I'm rich, Mm-mm. well, I'm poor. No, that's not, that's not it. We have this script from God. We are, we are supposed to have a divine script that we're spoken, supposed to be speaking to other people. Not a Republican script. Not a Democrat script. I'm telling you, this stuff is so powerful. So you check your script. And, and also, who's your script writer? Who writes your, if, if you're going to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast every day, I don't know how, I mean, the guy may be brilliant, but, you know, or, and I'm just speaking for uh, kind of my camp a little bit, but, if, you know, if, if you're listening to Ben Shapiro 24-7 or even Jordan Peterson 24-7, and I love Jordan, you know, that's not your script. That may be a source of information. That's not your script. Our script is Jesus. It's the message of reconciliation. And then lastly, God wants us to pursue a better ending. I think too often we want a retributive ending. You know, we want, it, we want an ending that ends with, I show you so, or I told you so, or vengeance, or punishment, or vindication. Thank God for all of us that he gave us a different ending. Can I be very clear as we go into this moment of expressions? that hell is not the ending that God wrote for you. It's, God didn't write that script. Our rebellion wrote that script. Our own self-justification wrote that script. And the only person who's going to get that ending is not because God in some vengeful way is shoving people into this place where he wants to torture them for eternity. It's like, no. God's basically saying, if you want to self-justify, and if you want to live life based upon your own script, well, this is your own script's ending. You hate injustice against you. You hate things that have been done wrong. You think people should get their ups and comings. It's like, okay, you wrote that script. I have a place that is designed totally on that script. And I took it from your notes. And I made it because it sounded like that was the narrative that you wanted. God's ending sounds like this, Revelations 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. God wants us to experience renewal in our relationships. That's what he wants. Me and Susan had the incredible privilege of being able to foster care. Um, Kat has become a daughter to us and she came to us when she was 15 and that really wasn't the easiest time to foster care. I mean, a teenager can, has experiences and things that have happened and, and I remember 
when we were driving in the car together, uh, she had her bag of stuff from DSS. They all have these big plastic bags um, and teddy bear, the same teddy bear that they get in court. And she had it and she had it in my car. And I remember we were driving and um, she asked me if she could call me dad. And I thought, wow, that's, that's incredible. I said, you don't have to, but you can if you want to. But then she said something that was really powerful. She asked me, should I change my last name to your name? Uh, because she wanted, she wanted something new. And, and, and I'm like, um, let's hold off on that. I said, because I'm believing that God wants to do something better than just do away with that bad relationship. I believe that if we walk this out the right way, that God will do a renewal and that you'll be proud of your last name at the end of this journey. Um, just the other day, she told me, do you mind if you are the pastor that marries me and my fiance? And I said, oh, no, I'll be honored to do that. She said, because my dad's gonna walk me down the aisle. And I thought, what an amazing, what an amazing God result. It's like God can make this old thing like new. God doesn't just trash people. He makes all things new with the same people. God wants to do that in your marriage. He wants to do that with your adult children. He wants you to, he wants you to want to go to work. He doesn't want you to always be hating the people that you work with. When the patriarch Joseph spoke to his brothers about the crime that they had committed against him, and they committed all kinds of crimes, sold him into slavery. He presented them with a better story and, he, and a better script and a better ending. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50, 20. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, that's the power of changing the narrative. That's what grace does. Yeah, it was evil while you were yet sinners. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. We don't need to talk any more than that. You know, we don't need to say any more than that. Let's get on to the next part. Christ died for you. That needs to be the story, the script, the ending that each and every one of us have into our relationships. And I promise you, I promise you, if that relationship can be healed, it will be healed. No doubt about it. If Jesus could be rose from a, a cold death, then I believe every relationship as we walk in the principles of God can be restored. So as we have this moment of, of communion, what we're doing is as you're coming up and you're taking the cup and the bread, we are rebonding ourselves to a better story. We're reminding ourselves. I know all week we're tweeting, we're Instagramming, we're on Facebook, we're CNN and, and Fox News and, 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 and Rogan and, and I don't know who the other folks are, but we're all going to our little tribal places to get information about what's going on in the world. But God's like, dude, come back to the table of Christ. 
come back to a better story. Let this be the story that heals our lives and heals our land. Father, as we enter into this moment of communing with you, God, we step onto the landscape of grace. And that's why every one of our communion servers are wearing a sashel that says grace and peace, because that's the ground you have invited us onto. God, we do not come to your ground only that we may receive reconciliation, but so that we can receive the script of reconciliation. You're drawing us to this table of Christ to remind us there is a better ending for people in conflict. Speak to our hearts, O God.